Hi again, it's Annie here. Um, so we're on chapter 28. Um, so yeah, we'll just get started. So here we go, chapter 28. So this is what it has come to. Benjamin's gruff voice was choked with disdainful emotion. The new world order built on blood, sweat, hope and dreams is to be saved by the single drop of blood from a sad old human. Slowly Benjamin shook his head as he sat down in the armchair next to the one his wife had always sat upon, but which was now empty. The faded green fabric of the high-backed chair was worn and misshapen in the shape of Benjamin's heavy frame. Not a far cry from the shape of the moulded chairs Mariana had seen used in the Pegasine city. I am sorry about your wife, Mariana said. Ridian and Hilary were with her. The rest of the crowd waited outside the door, waiting for the next move, Benjamin's next move. Benjamin stared out to his balcony view. Mariana stood next to him. She could see her own balcony from here, and Hilary's. Hilary's was easier to spot. It was the one with the small sunflower facing the glimmer of sunshine, which sometimes passed over it. Silently, they stared at the blank, boxed nothingness of their high-rise dwelling places. Seen from here, one could believe it was a prison that they lived in. I remember the dream, Benjamin said. Nearly a century ago it was. My mind is clouded with memories now, dark memories and even darker emotions. But the memory of that time is as clear as pure, cool water in a cascading river. Mariana thought she could see the tear begin to reform in his eye. I remember the sheer will, the determination and power of the people, the humans who built those tree cities. Those new and glistening cities in the sky were to be our nirvana, our little piece of paradise, our heaven on earth. A new man-made heaven, a second chance at life, a fresh start from all the mistakes our forefathers had made and left us as their legacy. Every single man, woman and child who helped build the tree cities, who put in the pipes and the infrastructure, who used their own individual skills to help, whether it be in design, creation, installation or labour, all of them wanted a little piece of the life that was being promised, a life away from the dirt and overcrowding of the earth. We all were literally hauling ourselves up and out of the cesspit that man had created for his children. We would not be the victims. We would claim a better life and we would learn from the mistakes that others before us had made. That was my dream too. That was why I was part of it. I was a scientist. I helped create the new race of people and I was proud of that. Benjamin thumped his clenched fist down on the armchair and scowled in a face Mariana thought would freeze the air. All that came next, that was my shame. Did you know about the fourth chimeric? Mariana asked in an attempt to understand the meaning behind Benjamin's emotions. Did you know what would happen to the Pegasine race come the fourth chimeric? You are but a child. Benjamin's posture was rigid and cold, as were his words. You may have met my nephew, and he may claim that Fedor wished to stop the turning of the Pegasians, and that he wished to put things right, but he never will. It is too late. He could never reverse the inhuman damage that his lust for power created. The moment was piercingly fragile. Benjamin was angry, and his anger was fuelled by a century of emotion and experience that Mariana knew nothing about. She desperately wanted to ask him to forgive and forget, to put the past behind him and look to the future. But to utter those pleading words seemed insufficient and would probably be mistaken as glib and insincere. 
He was scarred deeply by the life he had lived, by the people who had let him down, and by the person he had just lost. The moment was so raw and tender that Mariana felt like a lamb watching a slaughter of emotions. She could not compete. No words that came into her head would be sufficient. But she had to say something. But you can put things right, Benjamin. Only you. If you refuse to help, then... Then what? He replied, red temper rising in his eyes. Will you have your mob cut my skin open and squeeze out my blood by force? What choice do I have against the rule of a determined mob? I am just one man. I am old and I no longer care. Benjamin straightened his back and rolled up his sleeve. Take what you came for and go. Mariana stepped forward, invading Benjamin's straight line of vision. What made you, what made you hate your brother so much? She asked. What separated you from each other for so many decades? Benjamin's temper fell in a sad slump, unable to continue to defy the laws of gravity. He looked toward the door where his wife lay forever asleep on her bed, and then his eyes turned to look out toward the only spot of sky visible from his seat. It was a patch of deep purple evening light, with a soft bed of lilac cloud puffed around its edges. Mariana saw Benjamin's eyes dance in the deep rich light, and a small curved smile softened his lips. Was it because of your wife? Mariana asked. It was an indistinctive question, asked without a moment's hesitation or a moment's thought. Benjamin's old, heavy body relaxed further back into his chair. His temper had died and his eyes were serenely focused on the small patch of evening light. Mariana imagined he was looking out for his wife, like the piece of sky was the entrance to another existence beyond the earth, a better existence. And his wife was nearby at its doorway, and all he wished to do now was to wave her goodbye. She had a genetic condition, he began. She inherited it from her mother and from her mother's mother. It was a condition which was only passed down the female line and which my wife, my dear Catherine, inherited. The condition was inextricably woven into the fabric of the DNA in every cell of her body and no science or medicine could cure her from it or remove the faulty DNA. There was no way she would ever pass the tests set to allow a human to pass through the gates into the Pegasian cities. No way. A simple, everyday genetic screening test was standard procedure when humans began to be selected to be given wings. In fact, it was one of the first tests in the great list of testing because it was the most simple. It did not require point scoring for strength or subjective assessment for beauty. A genetic, sorder, a genetic disorder is precise and definite just as the colour of one's eyes or one's hair are immediately determined from the moment you look upon a person's face, so too was her rare disorder when the tests were performed. A blood test confirmed it immediately. No further tests were done. Access was denied. Her blood was impure. She would contaminate the perfect species. Did you only find this out once the tests were done? Or did you already know of her condition? When I first met my wife, I was 20 years old and she was 19. It was love at first sight. All I saw was her beauty and her kindness. She soon came to mean everything to me. She inspired me to work harder with my brother and find a way to give us a better life, to remove us from the corrupted and polluted earth. I wanted to give her a paradise to live in. I wanted her to have wings and to fly and to live like the angel she was. But then the testing began. Once the science was in place, other forces and desires took over. Other people with other plans took over. The testing had begun. What happened then? Ridian asked. 
she failed the test. Fedor had been asked to be ruler of the third city. He had passed the tests with flying colours, as did I. They asked me to govern with him. That is why the city is named Gemini. Gemini is the Latin word for twins. But you refused, Mariana said. You chose to stay with your wife. Her appointment to be tested was the day after mine. I was so excited. I felt sure we were on our way to a better life. My wife was beautiful, she was strong, she was intelligent and she was healthy. She was all the things a human was required to be to be given wings. I was so sure that nothing could possibly stand in our way. I remember the day, I remember the hour, the minute and the second. And I remember the look on her face when she walked out of the clinic room. She had only just walked in. I expected her to be gone for at least two hours, but after only a minute, the white door which had closed so firmly behind her reopened and she emerged. Her beautiful blue eyes were so frightened and sad and her hands were trembling. There were 50 rooms in that place, each one with a different person in it being tested, each hoping against hope to be given the all clear, to be told they were a good specimen of humankind and then be chosen to become Pegasian. The white metal framed doors of all those rooms were all shut when she came out of hers. She held a piece of paper and it shook in her trembling hand. It had a large purple stamp on it. I snatched it from her. It said, access irrevocably denied on class 1A grounds. Then I read the small print. Class 1 was medical, class 1A was genetic. It did not get any worse than to be categorised as 1A. 1A was the worst possible outcome. There was no way she would be let in. No way. So sorry, Hilary said, shaking her head. So wrong. So unfair. Don't be sorry, Benjamin replied. It seems to me that when they did their testing, they tested for everything but the most important things. What do you mean? Redding asked. They tested for strength, intelligence, health and wealth. These are things we all want. What else would they test for? My dear Ridian, you have come here seeking assistance to fight the slowly creeping wrath of the Fourth Chimeric. The Fourth Chimeric are a race without humanity, are they not? Not one of those original selection tests tested for kindness. Not one tested for compassion. Not one tested for benevolence. What is to become of a race of people who value none of these attributes? Surely those attributes will in themselves become extinct be eradicated from the list of traits of that particular race. Surely the genesis of the fourth chimeric is not just due to the animal gene within the Pegasian. Perhaps it is the human gene at play as well, and it has been set to self-destruct. Benjamin sighed as Mariana, Ridian and Hilary hung on to his words. Whatever it is, however the fourth chimeric came about, I do not know and I do not care. Benjamin spoke forlornly. I am not long for this world now. I have no reason to live any more. I wish for my long life to be over. Take my blood. Bleed me dry if you wish. You will be doing me a service if you do. A thick black horizontal line swept across the open patch of purple sky. Benjamin rose from his deep armchair and his eyes narrowed. Ridian followed him to his balcony. What is it? Ridian asked. Soon, all four stood in a line on the balcony. Hilary, Ridian... Mariana and Benjamin, four abreast, shoulder to shoulder. Another thick black line swept across the sky, and then another, and another. Take my blood now, Benjamin said. In less than a moment, it will be too late. 
Benjamin quickly went back into his flat as the others watched the black lines coming in closer and closer. There were too many to count, swooping in parades, swooping in and around the tall, dark high-rise flats, over the low stalls and streets. They all came from one direction, from the east where the lilac sun was setting. They were entering the city swiftly, one after another, their flight paths at first linear through the sky. Then on encountering the buildings, the city became a playground to swoop and swirl through, random but organised. Mariana's eye was not quick enough to catch sight of them all. Once they entered the city, they seemed to be everywhere. They appeared from behind buildings, from above buildings and from the screaming streets below. The thick black lines came closer and began to take shape. But as those in front became clearer, more came from behind and soon the small patch of purple sky was black with the swarming lines of the fourth chimeric. Benjamin reappeared with a razor in his hand. Do you have a container? Something you can seal tightly? They all... They all, they had come all this way to find him, and not once had Mariana thought of the practicalities of what they might require. Benjamin was asking her if she had brought something in which she could store his blood, something she could carry his blood in, which would not leak its contents and lose what was, beco- was, what was to become so precious. Mariana thought quickly. She removed the watch from her wrist, the watch Alexander had insisted she wear on the oil rig, and that he had insisted she keep afterwards. She unscrewed the back casing and hurried, hurriedly emptied the small intricate internal workings. After she was done, an empty space was left, a space ready to be filled with something even more precious than time. In a quick slicing movement, Benjamin cut his arm with the razor. Two lines of red blood oozed from the flesh on his arm. He did not wince. The warm, flowing blood began to trickle over his arm and onto the balcony floor. Quickly, he said. Benjamin took the watch and allowed his blood to drip into it. When it was almost full, he returned it to Mariana. She screwed the casing on and strapped the watch back onto her wrist. Then she retook her place in the line of four. They stood bravely, their hearts pumping furiously, their nerves taut and sharp. They were all unsure of what exactly may happen next, but sure that it would be something that they would need to fight against. The crowd that had been waiting in the hallway outside were now gathered behind them. Hilary and Ridian had let them in. They could not fight this fight on their own. End of chapter 28. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye for now.